The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Well, let me pray, and we're going to jump in to a life of love and what it looks like. And in the book of Corinthians, we've gone through marriage and sex. We've gone through divisions in the church, and there's a natural transition here. And it's going to start out with a subject that I don't think many of us have ever thought about. And before I pray, I'm just going to read the first, first line. Now, about food sacrificed to idols. Probably not high on the list of things that Christians today think about. I don't think many of you go to Publix and you say to your butcher, I would like a cut of meat. Can it be from an animal that was formerly sacrificed to an idol or not, right? Okay, just making sure we're clear on the same thing. But it speaks volumes to us, uh, to to our culture today and to the things we value. So I'm going to pray and we'll jump into God's word. Lord, in, in my heart, it is so easy to lean on knowledge. It's so easy to lean on our thinking processes. Lord, it's easy in this culture that values education so highly to think that it is the end all, be all, and it's not. Your word tells us that it is not. So I pray today, Lord, that you would humble your people, that you would humble me, their pastor, that you would help us have a perspective that builds others up, even if it means sacrificing freedoms that we know we have in you. So I pray, Lord, for those here this morning who look down at others, especially believers, Lord, that they would have a humble reckoning with you. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. Last night we saw the uh, screw tape letters at the Stras. It was a reading or a reenactment of the elder demon talking, receiving letters from the junior demon. And as soon as the play was over, I walked out and I looked at my wife and I said, I've got a lot of repenting to do. Because, here's my confession, on the way in, I, I didn't know that, I don't go downtown very much on Saturdays because people and traffic, but on the way in, it was just crashed with people last night. The, the parking lots were crammed full. There were lines to get in. Uh, Rhea and Eric got there before the play started, but they didn't get into the play until like 40 minutes after it had begun because they couldn't find parking and you had to park miles away. And as I was going in, I was being snarky Ryan because I knew that a play about C.S. Lewis was going to attract all the Christians. It was going to call all of us out of the woodworks. So I was playing one of my favorite games, which is Name That Pastor, where I judge people based on how they're dressing to which type of pastor they are. And I can pick them out of a crowd pretty easily. And I was like teaching pastor, worship pastor, youth pastor. And I was just, and I was so confident in nailing it. The other problem came about those as we're pulling into the parking garage, uh, I got cut off twice in about the span of 15 yards. So I'm in, and I was trying to follow all the laws, and then this car juts in, and I'm thinking, I am not, I'm not, I've been waiting illegally, illegally, and I'm not letting you come into my spot. I'm not doing it. And Amy's like, they're coming in, and I'm like, not on my watch. So I'm inching my Jetta forward, and then God's like, just let them in. 
and it pulls in front of me. And of course, it's a Christian car. At least they have a Christian bumper sticker on the car. I don't know if that makes you a Christian or not. And then I'm like, Lord, see, Christians are the worst. Not 10 feet later, 10 feet later, a car comes in, turns illegally in their lane, goes from the far left lane over two lanes. The cones are closing off their last entrance, and they just jut across the lane, perpendicular, blocking all the traffic behind them. And in my head, before I see the back of their car, I'm thinking, this has got to be a Christian. And sure enough, there it is. I'm not going to tell you which church they're from. You all know it. I just put that in your mind because now you all are thinking, which church does he think I know? <laughs> I just wanted to see if I could get you to judge as much as I judged. <laughs> the Corinthian church was full of people who thought they were smart. And they, they were in an intellectual capacity. They had a lot of knowledge. They loved books. It was the book nerd church. But what happens when you have knowledge is something very dangerous. And we'll read about it here now because they wrote to Paul. They said, Paul, we need your advice. We've heard your advice on marriage. We need your advice about this other thing going on. He says, about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we have all, we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If you don't remember anything from the message today, remember that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything... He does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Now this knowledge thing, it's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous gift. Because the Bible says that there is a spiritual gift of knowledge. And, and perhaps some of you are that person. And here's how you can identify if knowledge has puffed you up. If you look down at someone and in your mind you think... Man, they are dumb. They just don't get it. If you say in your mind, if they could only see things or reason like I reason, if they only had the same type of logic that I have, then their life wouldn't be in the mess that it is in. If you've ever said any of these things in your mind, don't raise your hand. I'll raise mine for you. Because we all have our opinion on what is intelligence and knowledge. And Paul is saying something very profound here. He's not saying knowledge is bad, but he's saying that knowledge, especially apart from love, will just puff up your ego. When I went into this show about demons tempting people, the scene that got me was the one where Screwtape, the affectionate uncle, Screwtape, was telling his junior tempter, demon, he said, you know what you need to do? Because he had become, the patient had become a Christian. He said, you need to get him to have spiritual pride. It is one of our greatest weapons. Get your patient to think that he is smarter than, better than, in every facet. Make him look at the person in, your, in his church family that is just the grocer from the corner. The person who is unkempt, wearing fuddy-duddy clothing. And let him think in his mind, well, I'm not like these people. I'm a more spiritually mature person. And I know that the Bible says things like being spiritually mature. And I think perhaps one day I'll understand what that means. But I've, I've really cut a lot of that out of my vocabulary. Because for me, when I, when I hear it or when I've said it in the past, that someone is spiritually mature, 
it almost has a sense that they have arrived. So I say we are all maturing. We are all growing. It is a process. When I'm dead, perhaps then I will let God declare over me if it is his will that I became spiritually mature at some point in my life. But the goal is to be pressing in to grow. And then, if we're in love or not, it makes it all. Love builds up. Knowledge alone has a tendency to tear down. Love will take someone from point A and bring them with grace and kindness to point B. Knowledge rarely does that. So I, I need to talk about what the Corinthians did here. Because they're, they're asking a question about food. Why can we eat food that was sacrificed to idols? And the reason why it was such a pressing issue for them is because prior to that, in the Old Testament, there were commands. Do not do this. It is not for the people of Israel to do. But when Jesus came, he removed what's called like the ceremonial laws. Doesn't mean that they weren't important back then. Doesn't mean that we don't honor them now. But there are ceremonial laws of how people had to dress that we no longer follow. None of you are wearing the breastplates of the priest's garb, nor am I. There were ceremonial laws about what was done on certain days for the Jewish people that we don't follow. Because Jesus removed those from the new body in the new promise, the new covenant. But what was still here is, and what still exists today are three groups of people. There's legalists that say we know the rules. We're going to obey the rules. And the rules are life. And then in Corinth, there were the the licentious people. I know it's a big word. Licentious just means we do what we want. We are free in Christ. And you had these two groups of religious people. If you've never experienced these two groups of religious people, it's because you've not attended church for more than one week. In this room right now are people who love the rules. They say, this is the rules. It's black and white. God says yes. God says no. And we just go. And then there's people in here, and they're the fun ones, and they're like, Jesus freed us. We do what we want. And how, here's how you can find out who's who. You do something that some consider a sin in front of them and see how they react. And it could be a variety of things, although it's a little difficult to think of for our culture. I asked Amy multiple times this week. I said, what's something that church people think is a sin but is not actually a sin? Can you guys think of anything like that? Smoking. smarting off to one of your elders you said that with good enunciation and intelligence i feel nervous smarting off to one of your elders drinking beer and amy said that too and i said i've really beat that like a dead horse at the chapel the whole drinking thing but these are things that and amy and i were talking and she said yeah, smoking is one and then she said but then they're gonna say what about your body as a temple and you have to like honor God with your body as the temple. And to which I replied, then I will just say from the pulpit, cheeseburgers. Some of you are tracking. Bacon. Too much of anything. The legalists, the legalistic people in the church love black and white. They love to be able to say, this is the boundary. And don't hear me wrong. The Bible has many, many, many boundaries that are clear. The, li the licentious people, the people on the freedom side say, we are free in Christ to live as we please, do as we please. All these things are for us. God created it and it's beautiful and I want to enjoy it. Well, Paul's going to run a line right down the middle of this for us. Verse 4, he says, about eating food, sacrifice to idols then. 
we all know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. There is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. Okay, seems pretty clear. Paul says, you want to know about these idol things that you're sacrificing? You're sacrificing this lamb to Molech. You're sacrificing this goat or this cow to Beelzebub. You know what? Those are not even real gods. So why are we worrying about it? It's literally just putting a cow on a different barbecue. Just eat it if you know that it's okay. But then he turns, and this is where it's going to get some of us in here who are religious people who have been puffed up with knowledge. Verse 7, however... Not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat, and we are not better off if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. So you might know something's okay to do, but what if you do it in front of someone who thinks it's wrong? This is where I had to do some repenting this week as well. Now when you sin like this against a brother and sister, and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fail or to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. So they're just talking about meat offered to idols. But the heart of what Paul says is key here, and it goes all the way back up to that very first piece. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. What does it mean to lay down your life and love someone so much? And, and for me, for those of you who know me, this is a big one. How much would it take for you to give up just flat out eating meat because you cared about someone else? How many of you would do that who aren't already vegans and sad? I, I saw your hand shoot up, Eric. That's why I shut it down. Shut it down. If you... I mean, just think about it. In our culture, we don't even have the idolatry issue. For us, it's not even this weird religious mix of things. For us, it's just that we are a culture obsessed with bacon. There's bacon in everything. There's bacon in shakes. There's bacon on burgers. It's not just, when I was growing up, it was bacon and eggs. Bacon is such a, a fine food now that other people try to make fake bacon so that people who don't eat bacon can still experience and say the word bacon. If you go to the store, you can look, you can get tofacon, turkey bacon. You can get all kinds of things because even the vegans and vegetarians and pescatarians and sad people know that bacon is life. And even in this culture, how many of you would say, for the sake of how much Jesus loved me and for the sake of how much I love my brother or sister in Jesus, I would give up anything. I would give up 
watching TV. I would give up eating meat. I would give up eating vegetables. I would give up my own free time. I would give up my savings account. I would give up whatever God is calling you to give up because you love someone so much. And this word love, we say it a lot here and it's used in our culture all the time. And there's so many ways to look at the word love. What does it mean? We know the Bible verses, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his brother. Love is not what, love is not what our culture portrays love as. I think we in this room know that. Love is not how much you like someone at any given moment. Love is not, uh, I enjoy this now, but it's, it's for me to make me happy. If, if what you call love terminates on your joy and your happiness alone, then it is not actual love. Love is something that gives. Love is something that pours out. Love is something that considers others. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, to me, it's one of the most radical commands. Think about how much you love yourself. What would you do for yourself when things are going hard? What do, you, what do you approach God like for yourself? Do you pray for yourself? When you need something, do you go get it for yourself? Marriage is a great picture of love. If it's a healthy marriage, it looks like this. I want this person to be full of of joy. I want this person to be happy. I want this person to be blessed. And I will give up anything that I have if it goes to the cause of building up this person. Even if it feels to me that it hurts, that I have to sacrifice. If it means building them up, I get more joy in that than using them to suck joy from. And in a good marriage, it works both ways. The wife is saying, I'm going to sacrifice to build up my husband, to encourage him, to lift him up. And the husband says, I'm going to lay down my life to build up my wife and to honor her and love her and cherish her. And that type of love, it's a race to the top of the mountain. That's what we call also in our culture the honeymoon phase. I love the honeymoon phase of anything. The beginning phases of anything you do are always so much fun. When you start the New Year's resolution, if you're doing that, I know you're having a good time out there running right now. I see you in your brand new clothes. I see you with your Lululemons or whatever they're called, just running. You know what I also see? I see the people who have been running. The people who's like, who got their, their t-shirts that are workout shirts and they just have salt rings engraved in from the sweat because they were running back last summer. And don't worry, next year when you do your resolution again, you're going to get the new little things, the workout gear, and you're going to have fun again. Or maybe, if, maybe you're like me. Every time I get a new toy, it is so thrilling. I got this, this VR headset at my house right now. You go into this virtual world, and you, it, it's surreal. I need to bring it next Sunday and just have someone try one of the things up here so you can see how terrifying it is. I'll, I'll cast what they see up here, and you can watch them be terrified. Or just come to my house. You could text me today, come over. My wife won't mind at all. But, but the reason why... It's so interesting to me. It's because I got all into it. I'm like researching it. I'm putting all these games on it. But then we have a bunch of people that want to play it that aren't me. Like, I think it's probably for kids. Maybe it's for adults. Maybe it's for everybody. But I got all these kids. And I'm thinking, here's the deal. I don't want to share this. I love it. I'm going to 
put the charging station in my room, in my office, which is like barricaded from tiny humans, because I don't want people to come up and get this. And lo and behold, it's kind of created the opposite effect. I just have a stream of kids coming into my office. Is the, is the VR charged? Is the VR charged? And then they go downstairs and they'll play it. And the battery lasts for about two and a half hours. So as the dad, I get about a solid three minutes on it when they're all done. And they just, these kids, whatever they're doing in there, they sweat. It's like a waterfall. So I put it on and it's just like. So then I don't want to play it. I take it off. I have to clean it again and do this. Now I've put like silicon, like covers on it that I bought on Amazon. And, and I think, you know what? I used to, I was complaining about it in my heart. And I thought, if I actually love these humans that God calls my children, I should build them up. If I actually love my nephews, I should build them up. I should sacrifice so that they can be brought into more joy. Now, that's just a little silly VR thing, but what if it comes to something that you truly love? And I asked myself this question. Okay, Ryan, if God says you don't drink any more beer for the rest of your life so that one person at some point will be drawn closer to Jesus. Would you do it? For those of you who don't know, I usually go from here after second service to the brewery until my wife calls and says, where are you? And I say, on my way home. Check, please. So I asked myself, would I give up beer? I just, one good beer. Would I give up eating meat? Would I give up bacon? What about an activity? Would I give up fishing? Would I give up reading books? What would you give up if you knew that someone would be brought closer to Jesus? How would your life change if your thought process went like this? How can I love someone today so that, so that they will be drawn in? Now, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. God hasn't told me any of those things yet. But the reason why I go to Levin is to build up people. The reason why I will have a beer at a brewery is because I have seen more people open up to Jesus than the other side. Than me drink a beer and have a Christian say, wait a second. Now, that might be my fault for talking about it from the pulpit. And I may have to repent of these things. But I need us to at least think about why we do the things we do. If we are being intentional. If we are putting our trust in God above all else. I love that little kid. He's a squeaker. So here's, here's what I want to ask you today. This is very simple. What does it mean to worship an idol? Because in this context... They were scared that some people were worshiping idols unknowingly. I believe we worship idols very much knowingly, and some of us unknowingly. Now, how many of you have a statue of a weird god in your house somewhere? Anybody? Jade monkey, okay. I, when I grew up, my grandparents, I've told you this before, had the most beautiful bamboo portrait of the Last Supper, where all the bamboo came in and it all pointed to Jesus, and it looked like light was just culminating from Jesus or toward Jesus or out of Jesus. 
but it was all in bamboo, shades of bamboo. And right under it was the big fat Buddha statue, a jade green rock about this big, right under the Last Supper. I never knew. I didn't think about it and didn't know what it meant. Most of us don't have idols that we look at. Most of us, when we hop in our Uber, there's not a little statue of Ganesh. Whereas if you go to India, every single taxi has a statue of that little blue elephant. And it's their idol of safety and protection. What I mean by an idol is this. What is it that you trust in to have a sense of purpose in your life? What is it that you look to to give you a sense of achievement or satisfaction? What is the thing that you treasure and enjoy with all of your heart above other things? What is it that you follow and choose to pursue with the majority of your time and emotions and intellectual capacities and actions? If it's not God above, then that's an idol. So all of a sudden, many of us have an idol. I can tell you, and I have told you what my idols are many, many times. And idols are going to sneak in. God's not going to throw a statue and you're going to fall in love with it. Here's an idol I had this week. My kids, in some unbeknownst world to me, are good at using words. Okay? So because of that, they all have been going through these tests at their school. Let's find out how smart your kid is. It is the scariest call for a prideful person to get from a school psychologist. We tested your children's IQs to see if they could be in gifted programs. Are you ready for the results? And for me, because I struggle with pride and I struggle with thinking thoughts and knowledge puffing me up, I think, please don't let my kids be just dumb. I don't want a dumb kid. And then in my back of my mind, I'm thinking, but if there is one, I think it's this one. I think this one's going to get the lowest. <laughs> I'm so bad. And I, I go through the calls and nervous. Like even now I'm sweating just thinking about how nervous I was to talk to Miss Bloom. And she, she starts off with the low scores every time. Well, in uh, problem solving and spatial blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, get to the score. Why did I, why do I feel that way? And then she tells me the scores and their total score is this score. And I'm like, is that enough? Are they in? Please. Based on this news, I'm not going to tell you which one got in and which ones didn't. But, um, but it was weird to me because this happened this week. And I thought, why am I so wrapped up in this? Why am I so, why am I sweating thinking about if my kids are smart? It doesn't matter. Intelligence does not matter in the scheme of life. As a matter of fact, I am the, my kids' teachers do not like me. I went in for a conference call and I told Jackson's teachers straight up, I said, before you guys get into all the things you want to tell me, I tell Jackson and I apologize. I don't care if he gets good grades in your class. And they both look at me like, what do you mean? I said, all I want to know and all I came here to find out from you is, is he a kind person? That's it. And they said, so you really don't care what his grades are? I said, absolutely not. But, but why do you send him to school? I don't know. I'm half Asian. It's like what we do. I just send him. And he, he gets good grades. But I don't check on homework. I don't read his agenda. I don't respond to teacher's notes back home. They literally, I said, don't put me on your silly apps. I want you to text me or call me if you need something. And they'll call me and I'll be like, what did they do? 
But I tell them, I don't care. I don't care if he gets a good grade or a bad grade. If he tries his best and he's a kind person, that's all I want. Try your best, be kind. So they, they're on board with me now. The teachers are like, okay. If he tries his best and is kind, we'll let you know. So now I get all these notes back. They're not trying their best. <laughs> you only had two jobs. Try your best, be kind. And I'll always ask, are they kind still? Some of you here, you're trying to major in the minors. You're trying to figure out how much of this you can grasp and understand and know. I've met people who knew this book forward and backward who were not kind people, who thought about themselves above others, who didn't grasp the truth of loving your neighbor as yourself, who wouldn't give a thought and it's just, it has to be a thought of consideration. Will this help the person next to me or hurt them? Because there are times where I won't drink a beer in front of someone. Because I ask in my mind, will this help them or hurt them? I think this will hurt them, so I will not. There are times where I ask, will this help them or hurt them? And I think having a beer will actually help them. Doing this thing will actually help someone. I even think about it with the little things. Unless you think I'm not thinking about this all the time, something like the chapel gala. I'm thinking, if I don't dance, people who are newer to the chapel won't know that it's okay to dance. So I go and dance and injure myself for you all. Seriously, though. And I'm not doing it because, like, I just like to have fun and dance. Like, don't get me wrong. If you throw down tunes, I will dance right now. And if Corey were here, he would. He's not. I checked before I said that. But the reason, if, I, if you just go through this list, Lord, will this help someone love you or will this hurt? Because I don't want to hurt someone. I don't want to push someone away from you. I want to draw people to you. And here's why. The gospel is so beautiful in this. The gospel doesn't say, here's all of God's do's and don'ts, blacks and whites, and you do that. The gospel doesn't say, Jesus paid for everything. Now you could go just sin up a storm. The gospel has this amazing thing that, it, that God gives us in this gift. Gospel means good news. And the good news is this. God died for you on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. And he set you free. He set you free. And you can live life today without any worries or fears or stresses consuming or anxiety crippling you. You can be free when you have a difficult decision to make. The number of times I sit down week after week and people say, I've got to do this or this. My life hangs in the balance. My marriage hangs in the balance. My kid hangs in the balance. My job hangs in the balance. And there's so much fear. I want to say, just walk and just read. Be in this book enough, not so that you have more knowledge. The reason why I'm encouraging people to be in this book is because this is God's voice. And the more you're in this book and the more you get used to how God sounds, when you're walking around the street and you don't have that book with you, you'll feel something. You'll have this impression and God will be speaking something to your soul. And you'll be able to know in an instant, that's God's voice. I, I know what he's saying. I'm going to do that thing. And when you operate in God's voice, all of a sudden you can carry on this conversation with God as you're walking through Publix. And you're saying, you know what, I just want to, I'm just going to, reach out to the checker today because they're so friendly at Publix. They're getting paid to be friendly to you. Publix and Chick-fil-A, friendliest fake people you can meet. But you could just jump in because you know how many of those checkers, for example, they just see lines flying by, flying by every day. Every time I go up to, to a checkout, I, I use their name 
And all of a sudden you see, like you just turned them from a machine into a person. I'll be like, hello, Doris. Hello, Mark. And it'll be beep, 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 Mark. And I'll say, how are you doing today? Great. And then I'll do one of those pastor things. No, no, no. How are you doing today? <laughs> how can I pray for you today? And I don't do it all the time, but a lot of the time. And it's amazing to see. And that's just the smallest thing. What if today you did that with someone here before you left? If as you're walking out, you're thinking, how can I build up someone near me? What if when you got into your car, instead of just going home and talking about the sermon, I didn't like that one, like this one, whatever, worship was this, this was that, coffee was this. Maybe you, you will get in your car and you look at the people in your car and you say, you know what? How can I just build up one of these people today? Because if you haven't been doing this, if you've been thinking all about yourself and how you could be happy, how you could be built up, how you could be satisfied, the idol is you, in case you didn't figure that out. You turn that gaze outward and say, here's what Jesus did for me. He turned his gaze outward and he looked at me. And he said, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, I am going to build you up. And I'm going to build you up so that you can be the freest person that walks the planet Earth. The reason why, and the, I think the only reason why I've survived in ministry as I have, is because at one point, God just said, look at how much I poured into you. Look at what I gave up to bring you into my family. You're free. Don't let anyone's judgment tear you down. I was sharing at a pastor's meeting recently. We were talking about our battle scars, and we got into the subject of letters we've received or letters that were written about us. I had a four-page complaint written to the leadership of the last church I was at because I preached while wearing Tom's shoes. Someone wrote four pages because I wore Tom's shoes. They didn't know what they were. They called them bedroom slippers. And um, it was at an older Presbyterian church. And they said, the pastor should not preach in bedroom slippers. I got a 62-page letter, 63, whatever it was, from a lady who came up one Sunday and sat right about there. 63 pages. Now, it was copy and pasted, but the end was very targeted toward me. These are the types of things that I save just to have so that when someone says something negative about me, I could say, doesn't matter what anyone said about me. doesn't matter how much I fail or succeed. doesn't matter if I'm the perfect legalist or if I'm too free in Christ because Jesus paid it all because I'm going to mess up over here. The longer you're a Christian, you will want to cram every issue into a black and white box. But there are a lot of gray issues that don't fit. When you're a younger Christian, you will tend to be here. You're like, I'm free. I could do things. And God says, both of these ways will put you in error. It's not about how black and white you can be. It's not about how much you can sin and do what you want and live for yourself. It's about how Jesus lived for you, died for you, gave his life for you, and he gives you his spirit so that you can do that for others. And it's really simple. It starts today. We we're talking about making disciples this year. In your bulletin, there's literally a spot. Write down three people who you're praying for. If you've never done that, don't, if you don't, like, I don't want to take a piece of paper around, make, write it out, screenshot it, make it your backdrop. I'm going to pray for three people this week every single day. And you go from conversation to conversation of how you can love someone. And it might look different. But when you start loving people and asking, how can I build these people up? The most amazing thing happens. You stop thinking about yourself as much. You stop being concerned with how much you know and how good you can be. And you become more concerned with how can I help? How can I serve? How can I love? 
Not because I'm getting any extra brownie points, but because God loved me this way. The Christian life, for all the complexities we try to make it, is a very simple one. When someone falls, are you putting out your hand? When someone's hungry, are you giving them food? When someone's thirsty, are you giving them drink? When someone's cold, are you giving them your coat? When someone's walking through a valley of pain, are you walking alongside them? Are you willing to sacrifice so that someone else who's not where you're at in your walk can be brought further along in theirs? Are you willing to be the bird that slows down, that Austin saw? And if you're not familiar with how that works, I do think that God will keep pace with us. But birds, when they fall out of their formation, the lead bird will come around and help the bird back up. It's not convenient for that lead bird. He could just say, I don't want to go backwards. I'm so good in the front here. But this is what church does because Jesus did this for us. Now, if one of you happens to have an idol in your house, please, by all means, um, text me. I'd love to come take a picture of it and, and talk about idolatry in the sense that they had. But I don't think that many of us do. The idols we have are, I think of me first, I think of my family first, I think of my community. And you, you put yourself at the center as the sun. You are not the sun, nor am I, nor is this church. Jesus alone should be the center of all that we do and think about and ponder. So I pray that you would today build up. Don't let knowledge make you think you're superior. Don't let your logic cause you to look down your nose at another. Instead, reach down, lend a hand. Very simple. I pray that it would be so in your life. Let's pray. Father, these messages of I could have just read the verse, Lord, over and over, that knowledge puffs up and love builds up. I'm just trying to give people something to grab onto, Lord, and I pray they grab onto something. I pray they grab onto one of the handles that I threw out there today. I pray that something would stick, especially about knowledge puffing up. Lord, we are a church of so many different backgrounds. Some of us know the Bible backwards and forwards. Some of us don't know how many books are in this leather-bound copy. Some of us have read it. Some of us have not. Some of us have struggled. Some of us have gone to school for this. Let all of those pieces be important, but let them not be the main thing. I pray that the main thing today would be looking across the table at someone, looking in the seat next to us and saying, how can I sacrifice to build up this person more? Sounds so easy, Lord, but in practice, it's an Everest. We need your spirit to guide us, to lead us, to inspire us. Let it be so in Jesus' name. Amen.